Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. It's Steve Johnson. Good to be with you, as always, speeding through life at the breakneck speed of 60 seconds per minute. I haven't been with you guys for at least one day, maybe two. I don't remember, uh, but I'm back with you guys now. I um, well, The week before, I did this seven days a week, and this week there's just... It's been such a crazy week with all the rent and the apartment stuff and so many things looming on the horizon in the, in the rest of this month and I don't know what else to expect and you know it's hard to find people that are giving you a lot of specific information and I uh, just took a break from a couple of day, for a couple of days and I prepared for a uh, Revelation Bible study that I'm starting tonight, not on this podcast but um, it's, it's something else that I've been working on. And while I've been doing that, I've been binging some WWE Network. Uh, especially, I've been especially watching a lot of old uh, Jim Crockett promotion stuff from the old NWA, like old uh, World Championship Wrestling episodes from 1987, because uh, Jim Crockett Jr., who really took Jim Crockett promotions to the next level, and the NWA, for that matter, helped to bring that even farther along into... Um, and all that. Anyway, he uh, he passed away a couple of days ago, and so I've been kind of binging some old stuff that he was involved in, and uh, preparing for the Bible study tonight. But before I get into a Revelation Bible study with a with uh, one of my host teams for Life Church, um, we've got our Genesis study to continue, and so that's what I came on here to do right now. And when we ended the last time, we were looking at Genesis. Uh, we we just we were in the middle of reading Genesis 24 and 25, and so what I want to do right now is go to Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34, and I'm going to pick up there and just kind of go through that again because I kind of had to rush through the text last time and I don't think we even made it to the end. So I want to focus on that particular passage for this study because uh, there's a whole lot here as we get into uh, a study on Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. We just finished uh, looking at Abraham, the friend of God, and now we're going on to the rest of the most prominent of his descendants, the patriarchs of the Jewish people, which were Isaac and Jacob, and then there's Jacob's brother Esau, which, well, we'll get into that as we as we go along, what happened with them. Uh, but for right now, Again, I'm going to be reading for Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34, and we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And it says here at the beginning of this, it says, This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, so that's one thing we want to, we want to note, because we always pay attention to references to time. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, not Armenian, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. This seems to be a common thing with uh, 
the patriarchs. You know, Sarah had trouble having children, so she tried to get Hagar involved in it, and they ended up and ended up having her sleep with her husband so they could have a baby, and then she got mad at her, and it caused all kinds of strife. But the point is here, at least, is that Sarah had trouble having children. Now Rebecca is having trouble having children. So the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. Apparently it uh, <laughs> didn't take as long for God to answer Isaac's prayers as it did Abraham's. And Abraham was the friend of God. But again, there was a special circumstance there and something... Uh, a New Testament principle that came out of that Old Testament, out of those Old Testament events. And it says, But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. So even in the womb, these two children are, are fighting. Excuse me, not children. Uh, uh, <coughs> fetuses for all of you uh, um, leftists out there that are for killing children in the womb. Um, no, I'm, I'm, never mind, I'm going to stick with children. These two children, not two fetuses, not two, I guess, uh, feti, maybe, but, you know, they're, they're two children. These two children struggled with each other in the womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other and your older son will serve your younger son so these two children are going to be two nations it says and that's why this is being highlighted with such importance because the later on as we continue on through the old testament it's going to be very um what is being talked about here is going to figure prominently into what's going on and even through uh, world history. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. Now, remember here, back in verse 23, God said that the older son would serve the younger son. Now, that's not typically how things worked at that time. Usually it was the firstborn that received the the inheritance and became the leader of the family at the father's death and all that. So God is specifically saying here that the younger the older is going to serve the younger, meaning the younger meaning the younger is going to get all the birthright of the firstborn. So later on when some shenanigans happen uh with uh Jacob and Esau we'll have to remember that as well so um, and when it came time for Rebecca to give birth she did indeed have twins the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat man I bet he was handsome huh? it's a good thing they didn't live in the times of uh, you know dating and all that can you imagine uh, <laughs> hey <laughs> I'm 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 Esau. I'm the guy that has. A, it says he was covered with thick hair like a fur coat, and I, 
he would have had a hard time. Every date that he went on would have had to have been a blind date. He, he looked like one of the cavemen on the Geico commercial. <laughs> so anyway, they named him Esau, and Esau means Harry. So again, they're getting very creative with their names here. Hey, he's Harry. Let's name him Harry or Esau. Um, then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Now Jacob in Hebrew means either heel or deceiver. And that's going to come into play here too. Number one, the heel part because he was grasping Esau's heel. But even more so than that is what happens throughout Jacob's life and the kind of person he becomes, this deceiver type individual. And uh, always looking for an out, always looking for an angle, always looking for, you know, he's... he's very good at playing situations and and people and anyway so Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born so he married Rebecca when he was 40 20 years later we have the birth of um, Jacob and Esau as the boys grew up Esau became a skillful hunter he was an outdoorsman, which is the opposite of me. I, I much prefer the uh, indoor creature comforts. Uh, I'm not much of an outdoorsy type. I'm better about it than I used to be, but outdoorsy stuff really ain't my thing. <laughs> I, I give me a, some electronics, a nice comfortable environment where I can control the temperature, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not an outdoorsman. I'm not at all. Jacob had a quiet temperament. That's not me either. I'm definitely not quiet, if you haven't noticed. Uh, being quiet isn't really my thing either. Thank you, Ginger, for pulling over that bowl. That's very good. She pulled the water bowl over so it wouldn't fall off the table. That's very smart. That's a good cat. Anyway, um, ooh, man. Never mind. You guys don't want to hear that part. But uh, prefer. Um, so Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Um, I like to go out in public and be out amongst people. I just prefer to do it indoors. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So now we have these two parents playing favorites where one likes one son more than the other and the other likes the other son more than the other. And look at the reason why Isaac loved Esau more. It was because he liked the food that his son, his son brought home. <laughs> That's uh, I find that interesting too. So one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, because remember he's the one that likes to stay home, so he, he helps out with the cooking, I guess. Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. So... Esau's very hungry, he comes in, he's been out all day working hard, doing a lot of physical labor, and he says, give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Now, Edom is part of the, hang on one second, let me look this up real quick. Okay, so Edom is a, um, it's an ancient land bordering ancient Israel and what is now southwestern Jordan between the Dead Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba. So that is, it's in southwestern Jordan. 
And so remember that when we hear about Esau and his descendants, the Edomites. Remember, he got the name Edom, which means red, Edom. So anyway, Esau says here, I'm starved, so give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out here. Number one, Jacob didn't have to try to finagle his way out of the birthright or, or finagle his way into the birthright because God already told his mother that, you know, when they, when they were uh, back when they were first coming into being that the older would serve the younger, that Jacob was going to be the one that was going to receive the birthright. So he didn't have to try to, to cheat or sneak his way into this or try to bargain his way for it because God had already given it to him. Now what, is that, uh, what does that say about Jacob here? Uh, one of the things it says about him, I guess from a positive standpoint, is that he is always looking big picture. Sure, Esau is the one out there doing all the hard work and the physical labor and rah, look at me, you know, I'm, the, I'm this big hairy guy that, you know, I'm the, the masculine one. My brother's in here being all like a little homebody doing, you know, being quiet and whatever. But notice Jacob, has, Jacob is looking at the big picture here. Jacob is he, he's thinking ahead <laughs> he's he's uh he's he's a planner he's he's got he's got some plans he's got some tricks up his sleeve so jacob says all right but trade me your rights as the firstborn son and esau says look i'm dying of starvation what good is my birthright to me now so whereas jacob is always he's a big picture kind of guy he's looking around he's seeing what's going on around him he he's looking he's looking ahead he's he's got the future on his mind he, he's looking for any way to get ahead esau is very short-sighted remember he's only he's been out during the day working hard he comes home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry he says, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. So he comes home. And he, he thinks he's starving. And he's like, he's so hungry. I, and I'm not, I'm not saying he's, he's exaggerating being hungry. I'm sure he was. But he's dying of starvation, really? And then he says, what good is my birthright to me now? So for that little bit of food that Jacob is cooking, Esau is willing to give up. Now, granted, it wasn't his to begin with because God already gave it to Jacob. But he's, hypothetically speaking, he's willing to give up this birthright. He's willing to give up everything that he normally would be entitled to for some stew. Um, where are your priorities at, dude? And Jacob probably knows this about his brother. I wouldn't be surprised if he cooked this whole thing up literally for this purpose. So Jacob said, verse 33, 
First, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn son to his brother Jacob. So God gave the rights to Jacob instead of Esau. Then Esau confirms that by his own choice of Or may you know? Or maybe it was God's sovereignty and His foreknowledge, knowing what Esau was going to do, that led him to say that. That could be another possibility as well. As far as which came first or which one it is, we really don't. I guess we can't really say for sure. But the point is the same. Esau has essentially given up what should rightly belong to him for the temporary satisfaction of one meal and that's very it's very indicative of sin in general you know um, I know this is gonna be bad for me in the long run I know this could hurt me I know this could hurt somebody else but I want this or I need this or you know whatever excuse you can come up with for to justify whatever you want to do at the time well uh, that's it exhibits the kind of attitude that Esau is showing here. Ginger, don't do that. Ginger, stop. No, thank you. You don't scratch up a, the 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 wood, okay? You don't do that. That's not good, okay? It's not good. Don't do that. Thank you. It's a good girl. It's better. Don't do that. Thank you, Ginger. Well, you're gonna come over here for some lovings now, cause you got in trouble, huh? Yeah, you're you're a good girl most of the time. Yes, you are. You just got a little sneaky streak in you there, trying to scratch up things. Yeah, you got a scratching post over there. Why don't you go scratch that? Good girl, Ginger. Okay, now back to what I was trying to say. So then. Um, Esau swore an oath, selling his rights to his, to his, uh, as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. So Esau gave up what was rightfully his from birth, or what would have been right, rightly his from birth, for one meal. Again, I say that's like the temporary pleasures of sin and giving up your eternity for it. How most people do that. Remember, Jesus said that the road is narrow that leads to eternal life and the road is broad that leads to destruction or leads to hell. Most people give up eternal long-term benefit for the short-term pleasure of the now. And I think that's a picture of Jacob and Esau here. So he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Now there's another thing we want to notice here as we start looking through uh, Genesis here in this particular section that we just read. It says this is the account of the family line of Isaac. That's that Hebrew phrase, toldoth. If you were with me 
when I started this Genesis study, either on the blog or on Medium or on YouTube, or if you've been with me on uh, the podcast when I originally started this study, you've heard me or read of me talking about Todoth. This Hebrew phrase, Toldoth, um, probably mispronouncing this name pretty bad, but you've probably heard me before talk about this word. And I said that if you were going to, you really don't have to come up with your own outline to the book of Genesis, because Genesis outlines itself through this Toldoth phrase, or in this translation, in the New Living Translation, it's pronounced, this is the account of. In other places, in other translations, it could be this is the records of, or this is the genealogies of, or something to that effect. Um, let me just pull up a few examples here. I think this happens like 11 times in the book of Genesis. Um, let me see here. 5, 1, 6, 9, and I think there's few more. Let's just look at a, a few of these here. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. There's that same Hebrew word again. This is the account of Genesis 2-4. Genesis 5-1. This is the written account of the descendants of, of Adam. Genesis 6-9. This is the account of Noah and his family. So you see that phrase repeated here. Then in, in uh, verse 19, this is the account of the family line of Isaac. And it's also earlier in verse 12. You see another one example of that. And that happens all throughout Genesis. There's a number of times that this shows up. And again, if you're going to outline Genesis, you don't need to come up, with, try to figure out and come up with your own outline. Because basically the book outlines itself by using that phrase. This is the account of. These are the records of. It's letting you know it's starting a new section. And this new section here, according to Genesis itself, is about the, the family line of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So that's what we're going to be looking at until the next instance of this phrase, this is the account of, or this Hebrew word toldoth, until it comes up again. And Galaxy and Ginger are off to the races chasing each other again. Run, Ginger, burn those calories, chubby. Feel the burn, feel the burn. Go, Ginger, go. Good girl, good girl. Alright. So, um, yeah, the, the other, the play, the, some of the other places you can find this word that we've read so far, and there's a couple more after this, but it's Genesis 2 4, it's Genesis 5 1, 6 9, 10 1, 11 10, 11 27. 25.12 and 25.19. And those are just the ones so far. I'll read those again. It's 24, 5.1, 6.9, 10.1, 11.10, 11.27, 25.12, and 25.19. If you want to look at those again for yourselves and become re-familiarized with them or just look them up and read them for yourselves. So we have this nation from modern-day Jordan, that's the Edomites, that come from Edom or from Esau, that are going to be serving the descendants of Isaac, and which would be the Israelites. 
And so now, as we, as we move on from this into the next portion of our study, we're going to take a minute to kind of to focus on the concept of prayer. Now, when we go back up to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21, we see that Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. He pleaded with the Lord. In other words, he prayed. In fact, later on in the verse, it calls it, it, it defines that for us. It says the Lord answered Isaac's prayer. So prayer in this verse is defined as pleading with the Lord on behalf of another. This is what we would call intercessory prayer. Pleading with the Lord on behalf of someone else. And when he did that, Rebecca became pregnant with twins. So that's very important because a lot of time, you know, I heard this even in our sermon this morning from Life Church. Um, Pastor Craig was talking about it when people say something ridiculous like, "Well, I guess all we, we've done all we can. I guess all we can do now is pray." <laughs> um, what an insult to God that is, you know. Well, God, I've done everything I can do in my own strength, which you gave me, by the way. But, gosh, I'm at the end of my rope now. I guess I just have to depend on you. Meanwhile, you know, God encourages and actually commands his people throughout the word of God to depend on him for everything. It's, it's a, a part of the source of our relationship with him is that knowledgeable, intentional dependence on God for everything. And, you know, and people make it, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Like, you know, like, you know that's, that's a last resort when it should be the first thing that we do. So Isaac here pleads with uh, the Lord on behalf of his wife in some intercessory prayer. And she ends up getting pregnant because Isaac prayed. So now, obviously, that's not all he did. I mean, I hope I don't have to give you all a, a biology lesson. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he, did, he did a little bit more uh, than praying. He, there, there was some action uh, mixed in with his prayer. You know, faith without works is dead. So, um, <laughs> so, there, so there was some action that was uh, taking place there, too. But had Isaac not prayed, that <clears throat> action probably would have continued to be irrelevant. So... Rebecca was unable to have children, and so Isaac prays, and then she gets pregnant with twins. Prayer is essential. It is an essential part of the Christian life. God is sovereign and all-powerful, and he can do anything except violate his own word. And there are principles, there are spiritual laws that God has set in motion that we have to abide by to get anything accomplished. And one of those is the importance of prayer. That Yes, God can do anything, but often God won't do anything until we pray. Did he have to do it that way? No. But remember, back in Genesis 1, he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. He gave us the ability to rule over the earth. And then Adam and Eve took that and 
basically gave it to Satan. That's why Satan is called the god of this age in 2 Corinthians 4 4. So, but man still has, he's still made in the image of God, and we still have, especially in the new covenant, when Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. Anytime God acts now in the earth, he acts with the, I don't want to say permission of, because that makes it sound like we're above God, but he acts um, with the authority of the believer, if you will. Um, you know, that's why Jesus said, you know, it says in the Gospels that whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There is a spirit a powerful spiritual principle there that if you know do, does God answer every prayer in the affirmative? If I pray for these three cats to start talking to me from now until the rest of their lives that God would just grant them the ability to speak. Gabby speak. See, it didn't happen. Gabby, in the name of Jesus, speak. Didn't happen. See, so just because you pray something in the name of Jesus, or just because you got, ask God for something, I'm not saying that it's going to happen. But I am saying is that if there is something that is within God's will, that's not guaranteed to come to pass either until... i got a fight going on over here between Galaxy and Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was kind of funny to watch. But anyway, um, we, just because something is what God would prefer, or just because something is in the perfect will of God, doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen. We have to do our part in cooperating with the will of God to see something manifested on the earth. From the spiritual into the physical. So, was it God's will for Isaac and Rebekah to have children? Yes, eventually the Messiah would come from this chosen line of people. But, if Isaac had refused to pray, or didn't pray, would this have happened? I would contend that no, it would not. Um, let me see. I'm over the 30-minute mark today. I'm, I went a little bit over. But um, I want to finish this point about prayer before we end, so it shouldn't be more than a few more minutes. The Bible is a progressive revelation. That doesn't mean that God's a progressive. Heaven forbid, quite literally. Progressive Revelation, for those of you who haven't heard this before, even I've talked about it earlier in this study, but the idea of Progressive Revelation is that God doesn't reveal everything about himself or his plan or anything all at once. He reveals it over time. So the Bible is a progressive revelation, meaning that truths about God are revealed a little bit at a time. Truths about spiritual principles and how the kingdom of God operates, how God's will is accomplished in the earth, were revealed over time. Uh, from the time that the book of Genesis was first started all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation.
So the Bible is a progressive revelation, therefore truths that are introduced in Genesis are expanded on in other books of the Bible. Ginger is getting very distracting. It is always interesting to see where a concept is first introduced and to look at the circumstances surrounding its use or introduction. So that what I just read there in my precept ministries notes for this book is called the law of first mention, meaning the first time something is mentioned, it says a lot about it. It sets the tone for what it means or its significance or whatever. And that, fo that follows all throughout the Bible. Now this is not this, uh, this verse here, Genesis 25, 21, that I just read where Isaac prays in some intercessory prayer for his wife. That is not the first time the word prayer is used. For that, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 20, and we're going to look. We're going to look up verses 17 and 17, or excuse me, 7 and 17 in our Bibles, and then we're going to look at the circumstances connected with prayer and what we learn about it. So that would be Genesis chapter 20, verses 7 and 17. But I'm going to start with 7, and we're going to go all the way to 17. So we can look at the context. It says, now, now return the woman to her husband, and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. This was when um, the context of what's happening here is that Abraham is fearful of losing his life because Sarah is so beautiful. And Sarah his wife was also his half-sister, which at the time was okay. The, the laws, again, this progressive revelation thing, the laws against uh, marrying a close relative did not exist yet. God had not decreed them yet. Because technically we're all related. We all come from Adam and Eve. So if, you, if you're not going to marry a relative, you're not going to marry a human. But the laws against marrying close relatives... We're not in place yet. So Abraham married his half-sister. So he tells a half-truth, which is a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. Abraham says to Abimelech, he's like, look, uh, she is my sister. So Abimelech, the king of this local area, finds uh, Sarah attractive, brings her into his domain or harem, if you will, to make her his wife. And God is not pleased with this, and he brings a judgment down on Abimelech's household. And Abimelech figures out what's going on and says, Hey, what's up with this? Why did you... Obviously, I'm paraphrasing this in my own way. But, hey, what's up with this? This was... Uh, you, know, you said she was your sister, and she's actually your wife. And... So he, you know, actually, he, he, he lets the cat out of the bag, if you will, and tells them what's going on. And then verse 7, it says, Now return the woman to her husband, and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. This is God speaking to Abimelech. And he says, But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. So God, again, says here that, he will pray for you and you will live. Now, who's 
ultimate power is it to determine who lives and who dies? It's God's, right? He created all life. He has all power. He can snuff your life out like that if he, if he chose. But notice what he says here. He will pray for you and you will live. What if Abraham didn't pray for him? Well, one can rightly make the assumption that the inverse is true. If Abraham doesn't pray for him, Abimelech doesn't live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. So God says, look, you got to obey me. you got to obey what I told you to do. If you do that, I'll have Abraham pray for you. And when he prays for you, you'll live. See, again, this is the importance of prayer. A lot of times we put things off on God. Well, if God cared, God would do something. Well, if God is truly all-powerful, well, if God existed, he wouldn't allow this. Meanwhile, God puts the, the onus on bringing out his perfect will and bringing that forth. We have to cooperate with that through prayer and obedience. And so, continuing on here, verse 8, it says, Abimelech got up early the next morning, quickly called all his servants together. And when he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us, he demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? So Abraham replies here, and he admits, he says, I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and kill me to get her. And she really is my sister, for we both have the same father. So in other words, she's his half-sister, as I said. But different mothers. And I married her. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor. Wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. Then Abimelech took some of his sheep, goats, cattle, and male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. He also returned his wife Sarah to him, that Abimelech said, Look over my land and choose any place that you would like to live. And he said to Sarah, Look, I am giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong that I may have done to you. This will settle any claim against me, and your reputation is cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God. Just as God said, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. When did, God, when did God heal Abimelech? It wasn't until after Abraham prayed. It wasn't even, it didn't even come directly after the obedience. When Abraham obeyed God's command to give Sarah back, he, his household, healing Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants so they could have children, no, that didn't happen directly after the obedience. It was the obedience plus Abraham praying. If, Abra if Abimelech doesn't obey, and if Abraham doesn't pray, if both of those things don't happen, this healing doesn't happen, Abimelech's going to die. So this was about 25 pounds of silver, uh, or 11.4 kilograms, but that's kind of irrelevant to the point. I just I saw that in the footnote, and I wanted to read that. But to me, that is... That says so much about the importance of prayer, and it's something we really need to take to heart because a lot of times we'll still tell somebody, oh, I'll pray for you, and then we forget, or we just don't do it, or whatever. And 
we're not going to bring any anything of God's will into reality unless we mix prayer with our obedience. And that is the main principle that I get out of this law of first mention here that I was just talking about with regards to prayer. You okay, Galaxy? You over there coughing, you alright? Galaxy? You coughing up a hairball? So you're going to go do it farther underneath the table where I'm going to have a harder time getting under there on my hands and knees to get it up. Thank you, Galaxy. I appreciate that. That's very, very thoughtful and considerate of you. I have some very thoughtful and considerate cats in case you didn't hear. So then the second occurrence of prayer is in Genesis 25, 21, which, you, which we just read about Isaac praying for um, Rebecca to be able to have children and then she gets pregnant with twins. So, and, and it's the same principle. We have the prayer of Isaac. God doesn't act until the prayer happens. And then we have the accompanying action. We have the exercise of faith. We have the faith-filled prayer followed by the corresponding action. In Abimelech's case, it was the giving back of Sarah to Abraham, her true husband. In Isaac's case, it was the obedience of the, the faith prayer followed by, Galaxy, don't do that, it's gross. Then we have that followed up by the corresponding action of actually going in and sleeping with his wife so that she gets pregnant. If those two things don't happen, Rebecca doesn't get pregnant. So let's not, let's not ever forget or lose sight of the importance of prayer and just think that, oh, well, whether I pray or not, God's, God, what God wants is going to happen. That's not how things work. That may have been what we've been taught in church and in Christian circles for so long, but that's not how it works. So, as we close tonight, what is your first response in times of trouble, confusion, or need? Where do you turn first? When, whenever something is going wrong, uh, I just I've been talking a lot this whole last month of February and on into March about a lot of problems I'm having. So this is a question for me too. What's your first response? Was my first response? Was your first response like Jacob? Was trying to plot and plan and scheme and deceive? through his own effort and intellect? Or is it to pray and to fully depend on God and recognize him as the source? And what is that, depending on how you answer that, what does that show you? Is there any lesson for life here for you as we as we've gone through this tonight 
Is there anything to be learned from the lives of these people who lived 4,000 years ago, almost? I would say that there is indeed a lot, and I think we've learned it in this passage. But that's kind of the self-reflection I want to leave you with tonight. When you're in trouble, when things are, when something unexpected happens, when you don't know what to do next, when just life isn't going as planned where do you turn what's your source is it god is it yourself is it somebody else is it another person god can use anything and anybody as instruments even like in abimelech's case unbelievers or maybe he wasn't an unbeliever he pretty well listened to god better than abraham was doing at the time so maybe he wasn't. Maybe that's I'm reading into Abraham's accusation of Abimelech being godless. But I don't know. That's that's another thing for another time. But my my point is here: Who do we turn to when trouble comes? Do you turn to yourself? Do you turn to someone else? Do you turn to your resources and trust in your your possessions in your wealth? Do you trust in your lack of wealth by despairing and thinking you're without hope because you don't have any wealth? That's in, a, in its own way. That's the reverse side of trusting in riches. Well, I don't have anything, so nothing good will happen. Or I don't have anything, so I won't be able to do this. That's trusting in riches. In that case, it's trusting in your lack of riches, but it's still trusting in riches. Or, do you recognize that all good things come from God? And do you trust him to handle your problems? When a problem comes, do you go to God and say, God, you got a big problem here. Um, just uh, praying about this, going to trust you with it. Or do you take it on yourself and that burden on yourself? Remember Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. We are offered through Jesus and under the new covenant the ability to lay our burdens at the cross, to take them off of ourselves and lay them at the feet of Jesus and trust Him with the results. To be obedient, yes, when the Holy Spirit urges us to do something, to get it done and to do it and to cooperate with God's will. But not to worry and hold on to it and carry it around as if it all depends on us to get it done. So that is the Wisdom on Wheels podcast for Sunday, March 7th, 2021. I plan on having some updates for you tomorrow um, on the apartment situation, on the rent situation for this particular apartment right now, because uh, there's been a whole lot of squirrely stuff going on with that. So... I'm going to um, gonna have an update for you tomorrow on that. Also, as we finish, uh, I just want to say before I end this, uh, thank you again for all of you who listen. You guys are awesome. You're great. I appreciate it. Please continue the feedback coming in. You can email me at wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. Again, that's wisdomonwheels83. That's all one word. 
wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. You can email me there. Uh, let me know what you think of the podcast, what you like, what you don't like. Um, any feedback is welcomed. If you have a question, if there's something you want me to address that I haven't, uh, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open, guys. You just let me know. And uh, thank you for those of you who have done that. And if you've already done it and you got more to say, you are more than welcome to add it. So, And don't forget to share this podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, on Parler, on MeWe, on Gab, um, anywhere you can so that we can grow the audience and the reach and so that we can hopefully influence more people for God's kingdom through this podcast. So again, this is Steve Johnson for the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. Speeding through life at the breakneck speed of 60 seconds per minute. And I will be back with you again, hopefully, tomorrow. God bless and bye-bye.